I can start or you can. Doesn't matter to me. Do you want to? I don't give a shit. <laughs> do it. If I don't like okay. it, I'll just do it myself. Okay. Welcome to Devil Town. I'm Austin, and this is Mitch, and we are dissecting the themes. And you don't look at me like that. <laughs> I'm just going to say, welcome to Devil Town. How's that? That's perfect. I, I think that that That's would perfect. be fine. And then we just do whatever the fuck we want yeah. to. We don't have to talk about anything in terms of no. what we're doing. Um, I feel like it's weird to force a tagline when we don't have yeah. a tagline. Yeah. <laughs> we're also, we are two people in conversation, so I'm not going to not look at you once in a while. Well, I'm trying to do something that's, that's like scripted. Don't look at me like that. And like do like this weird smirk. Of course it's going to fuck me up. <laughs> the same bullshit when I was trying to do that scripted shit for co- other podcasts. I know. Fuck you. Well, let's, uh, uh, I'm just we want to do this show because we both love the TV show Friday Night Lights. Yeah. But, like, um, I guess, like, as an introduction, like, uh, tell us your background. And how that is similar to the TV show. Well, yeah. Because your life is, like, exactly like it. <laughs> I don't know if it's all exactly it's like it. It's pretty close. But, uh, I mean, I lived in a devil town, essentially. I mean... We all lived in a devil town. No, we didn't. No. A lot Not of us everybody. did. <laughs> I was a vampire, too. <laughs> uh, um, no, I lived in a fairly small town, Texas. Uh, played football. Um Played a lot of football from when I was in, when I was seven years old until I was seventeen, um, maybe even six years old. I don't know. What even. age do you start doing full contact pads and helmets? <laughs> six or seven? Are you serious? Yeah, we did. That's insane. And they, uh, I've seen it to where they start at four and five around <sighs> here. Um, now, I mean, like we both live in a metro area now, and so you're gonna. It's more prevalent. Here they have like soccer. Oh like, yeah, martial arts. <laughs> <laughs> um, but. I've seen it to where they start out at like four and five years old. Uh, and it's, I mean, you can see it in the TV show too. In the first episode, they play yeah, with they the, have, they have little kids. The, the kids, um, they play that little game, the scrimmage, whatever. Yeah. Um, but I, yeah, played football for around a decade. Um, and I was around everything that the show was around. I, I mean, I don't think that I could necessarily. Uh, pinpoint one of those characters that was me necessarily. That was my next question. Um, Who are you on the show? Clo- probably closer to Saracen, and, and that's just I was not. If it were looking strictly at what the players were and how they reacted to the oh, things like that a were football going on, point of yeah. view. Um, and, and some people may say differently. Of I mean, yeah, it, it's it. The way I saw myself, I felt like Saracen, but okay. that's that's. Not a strict thing, definitely not. Um, I was a third-string quarterback. Uh, I barely even played quarterback. I played defense a lot of the time, played receiver. So you were playing. Yeah. You just were, as a quarterback, you weren't first-string, but you were playing other things. Oh, yeah, yeah. I I started on defense, um, and I played uh, quite a bit of receiver my senior year. And I started most of the time in on defense when I was in when I was a senior, but I was too small. Yeah, I they moved me back too far. I could actually because 
without getting in too too de- too much detail, I got moved from being within three yards of the, this line of scrimmage to about ten to fifteen yards, and you would think that that would be something to where I could have enough free reign, run around the field, stuff like that. But whenever we're in a situation where you have a running back that's probably got thirty or forty yard pounds on you, yeah, and they're running straight downhill, I'm I don't have the weight is that, to be able to throw around. Is that safety? Strong safety Strong is what safety. I played. Okay. I, so that's let's say uh, 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 someone's carrying the ball and they get past the defensive line. Mm. You're there to try to get them. The linebackers would be next, and then strong safety. Okay. Yeah, uh, but I'm supposed to help in that situation. But whenever you have a dude that's 185 to 195 pounds, yeah. and I'm 160 pounds, I think my little brother was a safety. He was very Tim Riggins, like not the biggest person, yeah. but the biggest attitude. <laughs> Actually, he was the biggest person. Uh, I was much better in not in much space. Mm-hmm. I, I was much better when I was a linebacker. So you should gone like the XFL or like. Oh, I wish. Slam ball or he something. He hate me. <laughs> Slam ball. I used to watch that shit so much. I didn't, but I watched One Tree Hill. So <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. Um, so how do you consider yourself uh, a aficionado for this? I'm, I'm not an aficionado. I know <laughs> very, very little about football. But I like Friday Night Lights because it's not actually about the football. No, no it's not. <laughs> um... I feel like my town, I grew up like all over the place, but where I went to high school was very similar to Dylan in a lot of ways. Yeah. There are certain, there are certain things about Dylan that are not true for where I'm from, but the like Jason Street, Buddy Garrity, middle class suburbia of it all is very what I'm used to. Um, I was, we were state champs. Uh, in marching band, which I was in. Hell Didn't yeah. really get into that in the show very much. No. I was like around football. I hated it. Always hated it. Um, I feel like I'm like probably Landry. Yeah. But Landry eventually does join the football team and I would never. I would never <laughs> have done that. <laughs> I feel like I'm like a Landry, like a Julie Taylor rising. Uh, okay. Yeah. It's probably me. What's your moon sign? Probably Tammy. Tammy. Okay. I'd probably say definitely uh, Rising's Matt Saracen. I, I mean, think you're a mixture of Matt and Coach Taylor. Oh, I mean, uh, yeah. Uh, maybe my. I feel like if you take. Maybe my Rising is Coach Taylor and Matt Saracen's mm-hmm. my moon. I feel like if you look at Coach Taylor and take away some of the more like personality things, like he has a certain way of talking and a certain like demeanor about him that you don't have but if you ignore that like outward top level stuff i feel like you have a lot in common with him so you would flip it you say no, my moon right my moon probably, sign i'm be, not i don't think either of them would be into astrology no definitely not <laughs> <laughs> i don't know matt's he's got the are uh he likes what was the quote he likes drawing and crap i think that that's yeah, the exact quote. he does like drawing i love the choice to make him okay at drawing <laughs> he's definitely not great also my favorite quote from like the first five or six episodes that we've rewatched was um that dance it reminded me of one of my favorite artists who was it jackson pollock <laughs> what he, he tried he's trying i respect that i love matt 
Also, the one when we got the, I think I, I think I told that boy to get in the back car, of, get in the back seat of a car with my daughter. Which, like, it, that's what, like, I always forget how Texas Coach Taylor and Tammy Taylor are. Because, yeah. like, if I'm that football coach, being around all those boys, Matt's, like, the only guy that I would be okay with jelly yeah. dating. Like, I was like, why do you oh, have a problem? This course. is best case. Well, he, Coach didn't, he did not know who Matt Sirius was at the time. He didn't give a shit about but who still, he was. still, I'm like, who would you rather her be dating besides oh, yeah. Matt? Uh, what's his name? Uh... Jason, Jason Street. Street. Well, well, taken. Uh, well, we're actually going to talk about Jason Street, um, and strictly uh, about his recovery um, from his spinal injury, and more of the uh, prevalence of that in uh, in high school sports in general, yeah. more so football than we're, we're talking about anything else. But it does happen uh, more often than you'd think. Um, but uh, we're going to go ahead and we're going to take a break and we'll, we'll come right back. So, so this is not an episode-by-episode episode breakdown. We are going – we're going topic-by-topic, topic, essentially, issue-by-issue. Issue. Uh, yeah. And not, and not necessarily, not necessarily in order. issues, yeah. but just like – I feel like, it, you know – uh, we're assuming that anybody who's going to enjoy listening to this is pretty familiar with the show as a whole. Yeah. And we're just going to jump around and talk about things that are interesting about the show. Right. Sometimes I feel like, like knowing us, like sometimes that might be focused on it as a television show. And sometimes we'll do what we're doing today, which is talking about a bigger picture, real life thing inspired by the show. Right. Um, but yeah, we're, we're, we're not like dissecting scene by scene no. episodes. We are not. Uh, we are nowhere near qualified to do that. I love doing that, but <laughs> I don't think anybody needs to hear my thoughts on every single scene. No, I barely like listening to my thoughts on every single scene. Uh, today, we wanted to talk about uh, the first episode of the show. Episode of the show, Jason Street gets a spinal cord injury. Sounds like a bad title for the episode. It sounds like it's always sunny. <laughs> Jason Street, the gang breaks their T one C T seven T one vertebrae. <laughs> no, but it's uh, I I had always heard of like through like uh, like interviews or, or quotes or whatever that this was a pretty like realistic and respected portrayal of this kind of thing. So we wanted to like look at like. How close is Jason's recovery story to real life? Uh, who are some like real life examples of Jason Street? Right. And from what I can tell, the show kind of nailed it. I feel like more than most shows nail these types of things. It seems like they did. Um, I, I now, of course, I've never had a spinal injury, and I've never met anybody that has had a spinal injury due to football like that yeah. before. But from what I've read and what you've said um, and uh, just watching the show, it seems like they they were very respectful with what they were what they were portraying on TV. Yeah. Um, do we want to go ahead and we do we want to jump into the the situations where it happened or do we do you mind if I give you some uh, numbers real quick? Let's do let's do let's give the stats first and then okay. we'll personalize them. OK, so in general. 
And this is not spinal cord injuries, but this is in general with injuries with high school sports. Um, uh, do, do you? How are you defining whether something's like an injury? Uh, things that were uh, reported okay. as so, as such. So, like if somebody like twists their ankle, but they're going back right. to practice later that they're day, they're not going to report that. Okay. Yeah, but these are reported. Um, and this is from a website, the multiple websites that I found. Um, and honestly, I could not find where they were pulling this information from. Because they don't want you to know. They don't want you to know. Uh, but this is uh, <laughs> momsteam.com. <laughs> don't know. Okay. Uh, but I also saw this in several other websites okay. using these same exact numbers. So it's either... I was going to say we'd put our sources in like the footnotes, but <laughs> maybe we won't if you bring in this kind of <laughs> momsteam.net. Oh, man. She, I think she just pulled this out of her purse. Um, but... Uh, Okay, so I'm just going to go with it. There are roughly 2 million injuries of high school athletes in a given year, uh, resulting in 500,000 doctor visits and 30,000 hospitalizations. Um, so, I mean, that that seems realistic. Yeah. Uh, whether it, and that's ranging from very mild to yeah. to severe to fatal. That um, What jumps out to me about that, those numbers, I, I don't have a conception of, like, how many athletes are total. What I notice is that's about one-fourth of the reported injuries end up being a doctor's visit. Mm-hmm. So a lot of these are serious enough to write down and report, but they're being handled by, like, I'm guessing trainers or just the kid themselves? R- trainers usually yeah. in that situation. Um, well, they, yeah, trainers if it's high school, but if right. you're in a little league team, there's not a trainer. Oh, no. Uh, now that was just strictly high school, though. That's only high school. That's okay, only okay, high school okay. athletics. That's not football. I mean, like it's not just football. It's yeah. all high school athletics. Now, um, out of those two million injuries, this is a this is a bad one. Fourteen point nine percent are severe enough to require a loss of twenty one or more days of sports participation. That's a lot. That's a lot. That is three weeks you've, that you've yeah. lost. Fifteen uh, percent of injuries. Um, of the two million, yeah. were uh, at least three weeks out. Did you ever have? A- I did. Yeah, my sophomore year, I uh, broke my ankle, uh, and I was out for six six weeks. Okay. So, um, I mean, I've was that was it in football? It was. It was in practice. Yeah. And they, what you would think that it would be more prevalent in games, and I've read this everywhere. It's almost almost 50-50. That kind of makes sense to me because yeah. you're spending more time But it's also, it, But in practice, you also are more lax, and you're more prone to making mistakes. Yeah. Um, and so I broke mine in practice. Some dude twisted me up, and mm-hmm. it snapped. Um, and my coach decided to make me walk on it. <laughs> He thought I'd just sprain my ankle or something. Even then, if I sprained my ankle, he shouldn't have me walk on yeah. it. Um, but I pointed to a bump that was sticking out of the side of my foot, and I said, hey, that's not normal, is it? And he goes, you need to go see Doc now. Did <laughs> so, you have, like, an on-school? Yeah, we did. Okay. Yeah. Uh, he was one of the old-school, um, don't go see a doctor, ice it, and and heat it, and that's it. Yeah. Uh, there was no... Probably knew my parents. <laughs> When I broke my ankle, my parents told me to walk it off and stuck with that for three days before we ever took it in for x-rays. I was eight, I think. Well, <laughs> Jesus, you were eight. Went to the water park. I went to the mall. Just yeah. tough it out. It was fully broken. 
It's not funny. Like it hurt. I know it hurt, but like <laughs> Jesus. I actually remember I was we were I was here in this house, uh, uh, coming home like the second day after I broke it. And unwrapping the ace pages I worn all day, and it was just like black and like <laughs> not really very really swollen because it was wrapped so tightly. But you know when like it's trying to swell, but there's an ace bandage, so it looks like it's been like cookie cutter imprinted. <laughs> and I was like, this doesn't look like it's getting better. And they're like, just you just gotta walk it up. We'll elevate it for a while. Get an ice pack. Just so dismissive. We'll elevate it, I guess. I don't know. Like, I mean, my like my parents were. Uh, they weren't like reckless or anything, but it was like my grandma was like, no, we need to take him to the doctor. And like, if we had been at my house, I don't know if we would have gone. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> okay. Uh, so out of that 15%, six out of 10 are severe enough to guarantee a loss over the remainder of the sports season. That was my other question. Your six weeks, was that the rest of the season, or did was, you come back? Okay, so it's kind of hard. I We made the playoffs that year, uh-huh. and so I came your back. It, I know. I was actually a sophomore. Oh, so, so you weren't even. I was actually – they told me that if I was still playing, I would have gotten moved up to varsity. Oh, okay. Uh, but I was injured. And um, once we made playoffs, we went past the first round, and then I, I started playing in the second um, or third. I think it was the third, actually. So we, you were a sophomore. You guys have set out most of the season yeah. and then just play in the playoffs. Yeah. And then we got our asses handed to <laughs> us um, by this team uh, called uh, Wolforth Friendship. Yeah. We played them in Abilene, actually. Okay. Yeah. Uh, but we got our asses handed to us. It was not even close. It was like 65 to 20 something. It was <laughs> bad. <laughs> I got my ass chewed out in that game. That was, yeah, that was fun. <laughs> Okay, so um, now these are – I couldn't find anything that was f- as recent as – I think 2016 was the closest that I saw. Mm-hmm. I tried to get as close to now as we possibly could, but that takes a long time for them to compile stats and things like that. So 2016 was probably the closest that we're going to get. Yeah. Um, but with this, this one ended in 2015, this study that I'm going to, to talk about. Um, it is uh, – it's strictly talking about – Spinal cord injuries. Um, So between the years of 2004 and 2015, 24 high schoolers and four college players suffered suffered spinal cord injuries that ended in death. Oh, my gosh. Um, I did not know I was going to go there. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I mean, like, we might as well just go with it. No, yeah. I just didn't think it was going straight to death. Well, there is a serious, serious issue when it comes to these types of injuries. Yeah, no, of course. Um, Because if you do have – there are mild ones, and then if you fuck it up enough, you're you're literally done. Yeah. Uh, Whether that's you are – we have a Jason Street situation Mm -hmm. or you you expire. Yeah. Um, So – uh, looking at general spinal cord injuries, SCIs, and traumatic brain injuries, TBIs, 10 to 15% of football players will suffer some type of cervical spinal injury at some point. So That's um, way higher percentage than uh, I thought it would be. Now, that's, that's minor. That could be anything. No, but still. But that is, that's high. Yeah. And that's, that's including uh, – I don't know if that includes concussions or not. I doubt it. Um, but it does include – like it's the – the neck region. Yeah. Um, and I, I did too. I mean, it's no, now that I'm thinking about it, like it, I feel like, yeah, most people would have had a, especially if you're considering concussions. Yeah. That just seems the same because like, 
uh, to me, it's like, yeah, you can like, you know, break an ankle or, or, you know, mess up your knee or something. You can recover. Yeah. The neck and the spine and the brain are the things that like, I don't, you don't even want to risk that. I, I know. Um, well, we're just going to kind of fly through these cause we've been doing whatever, but, um, according to a report concluded in 2016 by the NCCISR, SIR, excuse me, is the National Center for Catastrophic Sports in- Injury Research. 64.4% of injuries were log- uh, that were logged were directly or indirectly due to football. Uh, so of all of them that were logged as a severe, uh, as a catastrophic sports in- injury, 64% were due to football. 53.5% were serious, but some type of recovery was expected or achieved. And then twenty seven point seven percent were fatal. That's that's a lot. That's like we, I wasn't gonna jump straight into like is this worth it or not? But like you say those numbers, I know. and my brain is immediately going to like, well, let's just I know call the whole thing off. Now, I guess now those numbers are obviously that is I think it was a hundred and one that they had ended up getting. Yeah, a hundred and one that had gotten logged. Yeah, um, most of which recovered at some point some that lost all feeling um completely yep. whether that's uh whether that's in their legs or uh complete total uh total loss or uh or death um but out of the 101 27.7% of them that and it's that's not just spinal cord no but, but, but some, a lot of well, them I'm were, thinking like obviously the 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 person that affects most is the player mm-hmm. his family but also that's like hundreds of kids who like that'd be pretty traumatic if you were a young teenager and one of your friends and teammates straight up dies on the like yeah. that's a lot of people that are being affected by this in some close way. Yeah. Um most of those injuries that were that I was seeing, um, they were a lot of them talked about head trauma as well, mm-hmm. which this is the uh, Hand in hand. Yeah. Yeah. Um, a lot of them had to do with subdural hematomas. Um, what is a subdural hematoma? So a subdural hematoma is when you have a pool of blood that basically builds up between the dura mater and the, uh, don't quote me on this, the, um, what is it? The arachnoid mater. So you have three, like, layers on your spinal cord and in your brain. Mm-hmm. You, that, uh, so you have the dura mater, which is right underneath the, the skull. Okay. Underneath that, you have the arachnoid. And then underneath that, you have the, uh, the pia mater. Okay, the pia mater is uh, where the cerebral spinal fluid sits. Okay, okay. Um, but in between the dura and the arachnoid is where a pool of blood starts to build up. It starts to put pressure on the brain. Yeah. Um, and so whenever you have that happen, obviously they need to immediately go into surgery. That's a lot of, um, I was seeing that in, in what I was looking at too, how important it is to like take these things seriously as soon as possible and get them to the, the appropriate level of doctor immediately, because there's a lot of these where they're like, you know, there's the, there's the trauma to the vertebrae, which is a problem. But it starts affecting the spinal cord when there's swelling associated with that. Mm-hmm. So the actual break might not have affected the spinal cord, but if it takes, you know, three hours versus 15 minutes to get it even in a hospital, the swelling can cause the problems. Dude, very, very big damage. Um, here we go. Okay, here's some fun stuff. <laughs> this is this. This is from the CDC. So 
Traumatic brain and spinal cord fatalities among high school and college football players, United States, 2005 to 2014. Um, and basically, the, a lot of this is them just updating the numbers yeah. from previous years. Uh, we have traumatic brain and spinal cord injury fatalities among high school and college football players by selected characteristics. So, um, it talks of it goes through uh, college, high school, total, grade level, activity, season, player action, suspected cause, body part injury, it, position. Um, that's just talking about the numbers, yeah. how many. Um, and then we have a uh, description of six illustrative cases of deaths from traumatic brain or spinal cord injury. So it goes into what was happening, what position he was playing, the action that he was doing, um, the activity, so regular season game, playoffs, what have you, yeah. spring football. And then there was a narrative. It talks about everything that happened with that. Um, I mean, I'm just going to pick some, some random numbers out of here. So uh, we have in high school... Um, the highest percentage of grade level that gets injured is junior year. Really? Um, yeah. Um, let's see. The numbers are they had uh, 46% on okay. this. Um, I guess you're, most people are jumping up to varsity when they're juniors. Yeah. yeah. Um, and at that point, you may be a little smaller. Yeah. When, yeah. You're, when you're that age, every year is a significant change in, mm-hmm. in Maturity, right? Um, now, in this one in high school, it was almost. Uh, this one shows that these injuries were um, the severe ones. In terms of this, were almost always in games. Really, the mm-hmm. CDC does. Yeah. So uh, let's see. Twenty out of the twenty-four that they have for the high school were in game. Um, so eighty-three percent. You have most of the action that the players were taking were tackling or being tackled. Yeah. Um, so that that makes perfect sense. Uh, we already know that they, especially in the TV show, it talks about the reason that he got injured. Yeah. Was because he didn't know how to tackle correctly. He made it tackle wasn't exactly. Well, it's something that I think uh, differentiates this specifically with football versus other sports. You can have an accident in any sport. Uh, and there can always be flukes and things, but these things happen in football when everything is going the way it's supposed to. Mm-hmm. Like, just the act that is central to the game leads to these injuries. Yeah, I know. You, um, you can definitely be playing baseball and have a weird, you know, trip and get this kind of injury, but you're not necessarily doing things that are leading to that. Yeah. Uh, the suspected causes... Um most of which are subdural hematomas. Uh, 11 out of the 24 that they had were subdural hematoma. Um, now, that's obviously traumatic brain injury. Yeah. Now, they set that a different, like they they have a different term for traumatic brain injury, yeah. which is five. They had five of them. Um, but I think that that's more of a uh, concussion type mm-hmm. thing, severe concussion or brain uh, when. If subdermal hematoma is swelling, that's not something that's going to be obvious in the moment. It's not necessarily swelling, actually. It's like like a it's a like a pocket of blood yeah. that pushes against but it. But that's something that's going to take time to right. develop. It's not you're not going to get that on the field and you immediately know what's wrong. You say that, um, 
this is this situation right here. A college player, age twenty-one years. This is one of those narratives. I'll be done after this one. But <laughs> a college player, age twenty-one years, was injured during a spring season game. He was injured on the last play of the game while making a tackle and taking a blow to the head. He suffered an acute subdural hematoma. Uh, he walked off the field but began vomiting on the sideline. Oh he gosh. was immediately attended to by the athletic trainer and emergency medical services were summoned. He was taken to a regional hospital and flown by helicopter to a trauma center where he later died. So, yeah, that was, a, uh, it said acute, but that it can happen quickly, apparently. Yeah. They said that um, chronic is much easier to handle. Yeah. Uh, it's acute that's the issue. Whenever it like it happens like that, that quickly, it severe damage that's, can happen. That's a lot. Yeah, but, I mean, that that's what we're looking at in terms of numbers. I mean, now, I, it's hard to find, oh, this is the exact amount of people that had these yeah. happen. Um, now, obviously, we pulled 24, uh, 24 uh, high schoolers. What was it? 24, 24 high, schoolers high schoolers. And four college players all died from yeah. either spinal cord or uh, traumatic brain injuries. Um, so, I mean, that's, that's significant uh-huh. in, all, in itself. And it's... Maybe maybe less so, but like concussions or TBI, how many people have had things that have slowly developed into problems that maybe they didn't pinpoint to one? Well, like yeah, you're gonna get it's gonna get recorded and put in the statistics if you have one big hit that leads you getting paralyzed. How many people have like messed up their something in the situation over time. I forget the exact numbers, but um, when they were talking about strictly about concussions mm-hmm. and things like that and the traumatic brain injuries, most of uh, a, a large swath of the people that they, that they looked at, the reported numbers, um, had a smaller head trauma within a month yeah. or something like that or within three weeks prior to the actual accident. Okay, I didn't know that was... Yeah. I have one story of a kid who that's... Uh, that's like explicitly as cases they should have taken a minor injury more seriously and they didn't. And it directly led to, Mm -hmm. that's why it's so important that if these, like if you watch a football game, Mm -hmm. I, I, they, they now, instead of if somebody gets their bell rung, they, they just let them play. They don't do that anymore. They, if they, I mean, good. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, they take every precaution that they possibly can yeah. to make sure that these kids do not get hurt. And I don't think it, for it's for the NCAA's sake, they could sit there and tell me all day that it's for the for the players' health. I know for a damn fact that it's so that they don't get their ass sued. Oh and, yeah, of course. Yeah, but like it, like if we know if 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 it's if there's that much statistical evidence that these minor injuries increase the odds of a more serious one happening. Are they taking it that seriously in practices? And like, how easy would it for me to kid for a kid to have these more minor injuries and it not get noticed right. or taken seriously? What what kind of frustrates me with this is we have a situation right now where, and it's all of these other injuries have taken a back seat mm-hmm. to strictly head trauma, yeah. and, and that's not a bad thing. We definitely need to keep track of the things that we can help, yep. but. Whenever we have a situation like this, I'm sure that there are hundreds and hundreds of more situations yeah. where these kids have gotten injured, their their spine has gotten injured, whether that's minor or major, and we don't hear about it, and we don't have ways that we can try and prevent these mm-hmm. things. Well, I think that's one of the reasons CTE kind of did, like obviously it's super important, and the fact that we're learning so much more about it is good progress, 
but uh, we've always known about the risk of these severe spinal cord injuries and brain injuries, and it was always just seen as one of the risks associated. CT kind of changed the conversation because it was like, yeah, you think you know because you've seen a few of these really severe cases, but now we're telling you even when it's not severe and, and obvious, it's still a problem. Which is also important and needs to be t- like, I don't want to, I don't want to see, yeah, CT seems to be the only thing that I've heard talked about for the last few years. This is still a problem too, though. Oh, it definitely is. All right. So, uh, yeah, that's, I mean, we can go into this and, and grab numbers from everything that we can. I have tons of, uh, <laughs> uh, what's it called? Uh, I have tons of tabs opened up, but at the same time, uh, I think it's more What's the word? Prescient? That's a word. I don't know if it's the word you were looking for. Um, it's more germane for us to talk about things that were personal. Okay. Yeah, yeah, no, I agree. Like, do you, let's, uh, um, I have some, like, stories of, of people that I think parallel Jason Street's story in a few ways. It, it kind of, like, this research gets a little bit, to be a bummer because you can just read accounts of kids who got fully paralyzed for weeks and you never read all of them. Like there are thousands of these stories out there. I pulled a few that I think uh, kind of flesh out this problem in ways that the Jason Street story didn't. I think we should first though talk about like what uh, specifically Jason Street's injury uh what it is medically. Cause I didn't really understand all the different ways that these things can work when we're talking about a spinal cord injury specifically. Mm-hmm. Um, there's really like two variables that determine what parts of the body it's going to affect, what recovery is going to be like, how severe it's going to be. Um, up and down on your vertebrae, each vertebrae higher or lower is connected to a different set of nerves that control different parts of your body. So having like, if we both got an injury and yours was one vertebrae higher than mine, you might have no use of your arms. And mine might have full use of my arms because the vein, the nerves that control that are in between those two vertebrae. Um, that also means when you're reading all these stories, like it, it, depending on where on your back or neck it happens, really kind of determines if you're going to be a quadriplegic or a paraplegic or you'll eventually get your legs back or not. So you have physically where it is in the spine, but then you can also have different severities of injuries. Okay. Um, So you can have, like one person can have uh, C1 to C4, the very top vertebrae closest to the brain. Right. That's obviously going to affect your whole body. But it can be a minor injury where they'll, like, maybe lose 50% of their motor control and they can eventually work it back. Or you can have, um, like, a thoracic nerves lower lumbar that only affects your legs, but it can be, you know, total and severe. If they don't tell us in the show exactly what Jason Street's, uh, like, what exactly has happened to him. The severity uses uh, a grade A through grade E chart. Mm-hmm. Grade E would be, you know, eventually you're going to get all neurological function back. Grade A means 
when you think of like a spinal cord being like severed, like it's there's no hope here, it's done. Yeah, I think just from the way they present it, uh, Jason Street's probably grade A, severe total, can't get more injured where he was injured. We do know that he had a um, oh no, I wrote it down C7, C7 to T1. So that's like lower neck, upper back. Those are the ones that control. Um, th- this is another thing that I didn't know until I was doing this research. In your hands and fingers and wrists and arms, there are different nerves controlling different things that you do with those. So a C8, a little bit lower on the neck. Someone who damages their C8 should be able to grasp and release objects, should be able to use their fingers. Someone who has C7, like Jason Street does, will probably have elbow and finger extension, but not necessarily a lot of like dexterity. Um, but they'll have, you know, shoulder and arm full use eventually. Yeah. One more vertebrae up, C6, that is gone usually means no use in your elbows hands wrists anything so like specifically when you're talking about hands and wrists and fingers where it is on the spinal column has like a really granular effect on what they will and won't be able to do uh we see it in the show like uh scott porter does a really good job of showing how like he he clearly makes a lot of progress over the first season in using his hands, but his fingers are the slowest thing to come back. Right, and that's how it works in real life, from what I can tell. the f- The fingers are a lot more sensitive and a lot more. There are a lot of people who get the use of their wrists back, but not their fingers yeah. or their elbows and wrists, but not fully their wrists. It's just hard to, and this is just my complete ignorance in this field. You know. Uh, for some reason, I always thought that it was just like <laughs> it was just oh, this one nerve yeah, goes no, down and it connects, and like if one goes out, all of them. I go thought out. if you lost the nerves that controlled your hands and arms, they were all the same, and it's all or nothing. Yeah. but it's not. It's it's there's a nerve that controls finger extension, and there's a nerve that controls wrist extension, and there's a nerve that controls different like rotation versus extension. Like it, it gets really really specific. Um, from what I can tell, that's something that the show got a hundred percent correct. Yeah. One thing that the show fudged a little bit was, uh, the timeline, but it seems yeah. like the process of recovery seems pretty accurate. I looked up, um, the person that Jason, she was most directly based on, um, Peter Berg, who directed the movie and the TV show or started the TV show was researching the movie and went to um, the first-round playoff game in Austin. Uh, and at that game, um, David Edwards was a first-team all-area defensive back. He was a junior. He had essentially what we see happen to Jason on the field. Had a hit, didn't get up, they took him off the field. David Edwards had a C4 to C5 vertebrae, so a little bit higher on a spinal column than Jason Street has. Yeah. Um, obviously, Peter Berg saw this happen live. It inspired down the road the TV show. Uh, I don't think that he was using his recovery as story inspiration, but I do think it's interesting to look at how uh, 
David Edwards recovery compares to Jason Streets. Yeah. Uh, the, I found a, a newspaper article, kind of like a follow-up human interest on him in the Austin American Statesman. They wrote a story the first time he had his breathing tubes removed and the first time he was able to eat solid food. And it was five weeks after the accident. God. So he spent five weeks fully bre- like eating and breathing through a tube. You right. can't even think about starting recovery at that point. Like you're just surviving oh, yeah, at no. that point. And we we look at we just watched the homecoming episode mm-hmm. fairly uh, today. Um, just I think they say is like I think they were like it's been two weeks since you two months two months. I mean, so looking at this situation, two months, roughly three weeks past five. Yeah, I mean, obviously that's, <laughs> uh, but he is out and about. Yeah. He is eating on his own. He is... He's uh, engaged in therapy. Yes. He's making progress. Yes. Whereas David Edwards, five weeks in, yeah. just had his... The tubes taken yeah. out. Like I don't I don't necessarily think that's a problem. It's just, you know... To be more no, accurate, they maybe yeah. could have had Jason Street spend the whole first season of the show not making it'd be, progress. It'd be very difficult He to wouldn't do. have been an engaging character. No. I get why they did it. I like the fact that they did... Uh, fudge the timeline a little bit, but they kept the process very accurate. Yes. Uh, yeah. David Edwards, uh, so he had this injury pretty similar to Jason's. His recovery was a little bit slower. Um, he eventually recovered, became an inspirational speaker, uh, mentored other kids with injuries like this. Um, Sadly, he died of pneumonia just before his 21st birthday. And that's something when I was looking at like the medical reality of this, I didn't realize how many other medical risks there were besides just the nerve damage yeah. and the injury. Um, it, once I read it, this is all from the National Institute of Neurological Disorders and Stroke. So it's a government kind of like database, right. kind of like the CDC. Mm-hmm. Um, they say that, you know, the most obvious thing someone with one of these injuries is going to be dealing with is, uh, figuring out exactly what they're going to be able to get back and what they won't. And, uh, you know, the physical therapy, the things that aren't quite so obvious, but are kind of more dangerous, uh, any cervical injury is going to affect the diaphragm. So your breathing is going to be affected. Mm Mm-hmm. Most people, uh, mo- most injuries at any level will eventually be able to breathe on their own. But even for somebody like probably Jason Street, breathing on your own and breathing as well as you used to are not the same thing. No. Uh, so if you, you know, you can, you can have what happened to David Edwards, which is he did recover. He was healthy, but you're way more prone to get pneumonia. And when you get pneumonia, your body's way less capable of handling it. Yeah. Just just the, the, the biological reality of like if you can't cough, your body can't expel the things it's trying to expel. Yeah. Uh pretty much all spinal injuries result in the loss of bladder and bowel control. And they kind of talk about this in show a little bit. Someone like Jason, uh someone with injury of his severity and and area will probably be able to take care of themselves in that regard. But that doesn't mean they have control. Right. They're still going to have, you know, either a colostomy bag or be wearing 
diapers or something. They showed that. They um, do. Uh, whenever he was lifting. I didn't realize that that was like a permanent thing. Like he, you know, the, the success story there is somebody being able to take care of that themselves. But there's really no hope of ever being able to control, control it the way yeah. that someone without one of these injuries could. Um, also, something I didn't know about. Auto, uh, I don't know how to say this word. Autonomic dysreflexia. Uh, it is a lot of the nervous system is controlling things that we're not doing consciously. Blood pressure, heartbeat, bladder and bowel. Yeah. That means... Um, when the nerves on the lower half of your body aren't doing the work that they used to do regulating blood pressure and things like that, it makes it a lot more likely to develop into uh, muscle problems, uh, uh, swelling, and, and blood clots. There's a lot of cases of somebody being generally on the healthy side and then getting a blood clot in their legs just because the systems that normally regulate that kind of thing aren't functioning like they used to. Now, do you know, and this is just a, a general, do you know if that is parasympathetic? What does that mean? So there's two different nervous systems kind of. Oh, I don't know. Like, <laughs> there's a sympathetic and the parasympathetic mm-hmm. nervous system. Um, and I think parasympathetic is the, like, the, this. The, the, uh, the it's autonomic. Stuff. Yeah, it's the, I, let me, I'm going to look this up just to make sure. Um, maybe it is called the autonomic uh, parasympathetic nervous system is one of three divisions of the autonomic nervous okay. system yeah, yeah. called the rest and digest system. Parasympathetic conserves energy as it, uh, as it slows the heart rate, increases intestinal and gland activity and relaxes finger muscles in the gastrointestinal. Yeah. Okay. Part. Okay. This can be a uh, triggered. So it kind of, it's, it's the body's response to, um, some kind of stimulus. So, this dysreflexia can be triggered by things that you wouldn't think would be that serious, like um, sunburn or a bruise or a cut. If somebody with total paralysis from the waist down gets a minor bruise on their leg, the bruise might not be a problem, but it might trigger that response in their body, which will then lead to spasms and changes in blood pressure and headaches and you know something that just benigns like and that from what i can tell that's not usually life-threatening right but it's something you have to deal with right Uh, even like he talks about in the show having to train his body to like go to the bathroom on a schedule because having a really really full bladder he's not going to feel like he has a really full bladder no but that can be a stressor that can lead to this condition Mm -hmm. just having a full bladder can trigger other responses my god um most spinal cord injuries lead to chronic low blood pressure low blood pressure um which kind of makes sense because you're just not there's not as much activity yeah uh but chronic low blood pressure can be a problem especially if you're thinking years down the road yeah circulation issues um and uh most patients report uh, multiple different types of like pain responses. The obvious one is if you're not used to using your shoulders and chest and you have to start compensating and using them for new things, obviously that's going to hurt. Yeah. But also there is neurogenic pain, which is pain 
in the affected area. It can be like stinging or burning. It kind of, mm. the way it was described, it kind of seemed to be kind of like fibromyalgia or like phantom limb syndrome. Like yeah. it's not a, it's not the pain that's in direct response to something. It's just the nervous system misfiring. Right. So you can have, you know, someone like Jason Street is obviously going to have the soreness and the pain of working muscles in new ways. And then also can just have this general, no reason pain just like all the time. <laughs> uh, and that's what like, you know, it's, I, I imagine for all these people like we're looking at and we see it in Jason street. Like if this is happening to athletes, they're going to want to, you know, like identify the problem, work through yeah. it, mm-hmm. you know, part of the thing. The sad reality is a lot of these things are just not, gonna happen the way they used to you can't you can do everything right and do all your physical therapy and be working as hard as you can and still get pneumonia and you're way higher risk than somebody else or you can just have phantom pain that's not related to well jason yeah jason jumped on that train pretty quick was like yeah i'm not gonna get better and then lila's dumbass well yeah and looking at like like physiologically how these things work someone with a grade C or a grade D injury can probably regain movement. Yeah. But if they can diagnose it right away and say, no, this is like a grade a, and they know where it happened, obviously the doctors aren't going to encourage them to try to walk again because it's basically a medical impossibility. Yes. Some people that had an injury in the same place as him could regain the ability to walk, but he's not one of them. Right. Well, and whenever you look at situations with, say, um, uh, if there's any situation where somebody needs a prosthesis, yeah, um, where it, those people that are able to get prosthesis, they don't have any nerve damage in those areas that they that are like that yeah. allows them to use those things. If you only had any type of nerve damage that was there, you would not be able to use any of those prosthesis. I, I've never even thought about that. Like, yeah. I just assumed that like anybody could use those things like not necessarily it's that's yeah. wild it's, yeah. and, and that's what it's like you know we see in the show everybody pushing him to like recover and get better and he's he's mostly just ignoring them because he knows you know he's got to work really hard to learn to take to do live his new life yeah but he, he can't make quote-unquote getting better his goal because that's just setting yourself up for frustration yeah Working on things that you can work on. Yeah. yeah. Just leave the things behind that you can't, like, that there's n- literally no hope for. Yeah. And it's so sad. To, I, I, what I like about this show, though, it is, it's, it's, it's tragic. I like that this show right away gave us characters like Herc, and I can't remember the other guy's name. Yeah. Showing us that, like, it, it is really, really sad what happened to Jason Street, but they're not going to show us this miracle TV story of him recovering. <laughs> And they're also not going to just, like, wallow in how sad he is. Like, they immediately yeah. give us examples of, like, you know, like, obviously, Herc's life is very different than what he thought it would be before he got injured. But he still has a good life. Like, he's yeah. still a fun guy who's doing things he wants to do. They, they, they present that in a way that, like, I feel like if I had, you know, uh, if this was, like, a reality in my life, I feel like watching the show would be encouraging that they not only were being very honest about the process, but they were showing a realistic version of success. Right. They weren't making it look 
easier than it would be in reality, but they also weren't making it look like his life was just going to be miserable forever. Right. Like, that's... That's a fine line to walk, and I think the show walks it really oh, yeah, nicely. Definitely. Um, it's, again, it. that's why I love this show in general. It, it's, as much as it is about Texas high school football and the people around it, it's pretty nuanced when it comes to these types oh, of yeah. things. I, so, Peter Berg especially. It seems like it to me. Yeah. I mean, but he, then again, I think at this point, Jason, Jason Kadams was the guy that had taken over Katim's. I think so. Forgive me, Jason, if you're listening. <laughs> um, do you want to hear about some like real life people? Yeah, go ahead. And and their stories. I have like three or four. Okay. Um, obviously, David Edwards is directly who Jason Street is based off of. Right. Uh, around the same time as this happened to Jason Edwards, uh, in San Marcos, Texas, Chris Canales. Um, 2001, four minutes left, made a touchdown saving tackle. So pretty close to what Jason did. Um, he went to his first game. Like we just watched the episode of homecoming where Jason goes back for the first time Mm -hmm. and how fraught that was. Chris Canales did that exactly one year after his injury. Um, one year of his injury, they went to a post injury. They went to a high school football game, and at that football game, another student, Corey Fulbright, had an almost identical spinal cord injury, um, which is tragic. But those two people, Chris Canales, Corey Fulbright, um, started the organization called Gridiron Heroes, and they. I wasn't able to find a lot of information on that organization right now, um, but they're. Uh, providing like grants for, you know, if somebody has this type of injury and needs assistance getting, you know, a ramp put in their home or a wheelchair or something like that, they help provide that. It seems like a really great organization. That's cool. Small. It's Texas-based local organization. Still, I mean, it's something. Of all the people I found, Chris seems to be one of the most gung-ho with still loving football and still you know, trying to be involved in football. Yeah. Uh, they, yeah, they, they have, they have some quotes about it's a Eddie is Chris's dad. It says, I get the question a lot. How can you still support the game of football? Well, the game is what brings them together. Chris says, we're a band of brothers. Our biggest bond is football. Um, they're trying to, in this interview I read, they're stressing the idea that, you know, this is an unfortunate reality of football. They're trying to, focus on making sure that these people that this happens to don't get forgotten after it happens, which is a pretty noble worthy cause. Yeah. I I feel like <laughs> I would want to focus on making sure it doesn't happen in the first place. Yeah. But I respect that. Like this yeah. idea that, you know, if we're going to play this game that is going to lead to these kind of catastrophic injuries, the least we can do is make sure these people are taken care of after it happens. Well, and that's, that's trying. I mean, the NFLPA is trying to like, yeah. They're trying to make sure that when it comes to uh, players with CTE, that they're just finding out years after um, that they're being able to be they are able to they are able to take care of them. Because um, I know that there's a lot of situations where these guys can't get any help mm-hmm. or, once they're out of the NFL. Yeah, or I mean, this makes sense, especially like in a high school level. You're going to be like overloaded with attention and support for a few months. Mm-hmm. 
but how much support do you have three years later or five years later? Yeah. Or you even see it with in the show, like everybody's coming to visit him all the time for the first month. And now he's two months out from his injury and he's not getting that attention anymore. Yeah. Um, well, and especially if it is a family that is because we, uh, we eventually we may get into uh, um, the legal ramifications of all this. I uh, definitely want to talk about that. Not today. Uh, oh, we, <laughs> it's, yeah. too, it's too big. Um, it is. There's way too much involved. And it, it is it, it, for all intents and purposes, for lack of better terms, it is fucked. But um, they have signed off on basically it, whenever you go into football, you sign a a contract essentially saying that you waive the school and the school district of any wrongdoing unless it is directly involved with their negligence. Um, And in this situation, you have a family in Jason Street's family who is fairly well off. It seems like it. Yeah. And they still need help. Oh, imagine, imagine one of these kids who was, in a family that was uh, below the poverty line. Yeah. Um, no it, health insurance. No health insurance. Or, yeah. It, they are it, They are screwed. Yeah. I mean, or imagine, like Jason seems to be in the same, t- he seems to still be in Dylan. There's a lot of stories of somebody getting this injury and really their best option was the whole family moving to another city to get yeah. treatment for maybe six months, maybe a year. Um one of them, Sterling Thomas, is pretty close to us. He's from Union High School in Tulsa. Okay. He won three state championships, um, but he – oh, he won three state championships, graduated. His freshman year at Lindenwood University in Missouri um, had an injury like this. He kind of uh, did what we see Jason do eventually where he tried to get back into football immediately – or not immediately – Tried to get back into football, was working with football teams, uh, getting his degree in sports management, but he pivoted and got a degree in business management, and now he's the president of the Push Push Pray Foundation, which is also a really cool organization. That, like, Again, focusing on making sure that people that this happens to have long-term assistance. Yeah. And, and looking at the, the money side of things, even if you have really good insurance – some of these things that are, you know, life necessities, but my medical necessities are so expensive. Uh, you might need like a shower chair isn't a medical necessity. If a nurse or your caretaker can bathe you every day, you don't need it. But obviously, uh, like a, a teenager is going to want to be able to do that themselves. Those chairs are $3,000. And that's... <laughs> so, like, these organizations, yeah. Great Iron Heroes, Push, Push, Pray, that's kind of where they're stepping in and trying to, like, undercut some of those costs. Because what happens if the house your family lives in can't be made wheelchair-friendly or your bathroom needs to be completely retrofitted? Those are expensive things. Um, two more people I want to talk about are... I don't want to get, like, pessimistic, but I... There are so many stories of people that are so optimistic, and I think it's a little bit of selection bias of you're going to write stories about the best, most hopeful stories, and the people that it's really sad and depressing don't get noticed as much. Right. Um, But I found a couple that, like, you know, I don't want to bring it down too far, but this is... I I want to hear from people that are acknowledging... 
the darker side you need, of this. Yeah, you need to touch on the reality of the yeah. situation. Rico Brown uh, founded an organization called CHIPS, Childhood Injury Prevention Services. Um, he got injured as a teenager. I think he was 15, um, 14. He got injured playing football. Uh, and he... Well, I read a statement after uh, Chicago Bears safety Chris Conti said that he'd rather have the experience of playing and, who knows, die 10, 15 years earlier than not be able to play in the NFL and have a long life. Uh, Rico Brown's response to that was, quote, As an advocate, an individual paralyzed at age 14 as a direct result of a football injury, I was devastated at the comments. I found them to be both selfish and offensive. The message to children should be that while football is a great game, it is not worth life-changing injuries like mine or a shortened lifespan. Making decisions while playing the sport can help avoid both fates. There's no glamour in sustaining any significant or potentially life-threatening injury on the football field. Um, His organization looks really interesting to me. He... He's going into youth sports organizations, and I'm thinking back to when I played sports as a kid. When you're a eight or nine year old playing like your first football team or or little league or whatever, you're not aware of the risk factors. He's going in, you know, in his wheelchair, telling them his story, and saying like, "Look, I'm not telling you not to play the game. I'm saying here's what can happen if you don't take this seriously and if you yeah. don't really." listen and pay attention and learn how to do these things safely. And I think that's really cool because, like like we said earlier, like equipment can make a difference. Uh, uh, Changing techniques and, like, you know, banning certain things can make a difference. But a lot of times it's knowing what things are riskier than other things and then how to do things properly. Yeah. Um, Last person I want to talk about is Eric Clark. My... Sorry, my uh, my negative uh, viewpoint in all this. I oh, no. just no. Like you said something about Chris Conti saying that. Yeah. I instantly looked him up to just like drag on his stats <laughs> and be like, "Well, I mean, you're out of the NFL now." He's so, good, right? No, he's not very good. No, he's not. <laughs> no, he was. I don't know uh, anything about him. No, and, and his statement. I you know it it when I read his statement, I got Rico Brown's response. It seems pretty callous. You know, I get what he was saying, too. He's saying, like, yeah, I play a sport that's risky. I know it's risky. Yeah. I love it anyway. But I do think it's worth thinking, like, that is generally... We don't usually hear it said that plainly, but that is the attitude that is prevailing. And that's the attitude that kids are definitely picking up on, especially when they're younger. Yeah. I feel like it's useful... While it's useful to hear see for them to see their heroes saying, that, like, yeah, it's risky, but it's worth it, there's also a benefit to showing them what can happen yeah. and, and, and you know, they can't really, kids can't really grasp the seriousness of it. If they never see somebody who is paralyzed telling them what their life is like on the worst side. Exactly. Of the yeah. Um, he's been injured several times. Uh, mm-hmm. he, uh, as of September 25th, 2018, he's placed on the, IR after suffering a torn PCL in week three. And what is, I don't, what is IR? Uh, injured reserve. Okay. Um, so basically you're end of the season at that point, injured reserves, you're done. Um, but, uh, yeah. And I, we haven't heard anything from him <laughs> since. I mean, he got drafted in 2011. Yeah. So I don't like the, obviously that's bad. I seven, don't like that. But seven years, uh, is 
way over the average. So he's not coming back, probably. Uh, probably not. Um, no. but yeah, it's way over the average amount of years for an NFL player, which is like three. Yeah. So um, he he would say I'll that it was that. worth it. Yeah. For him, and good for him. I'll give him. I'll give him that. Last person I want to talk about is uh, Eric Clark, and I didn't realize. Uh, what his story is is what you said earlier about how these injuries can like compound each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, Eric got hit during a drill in practice, uh, and he says he remembers thinking while they were doing it that this that it wasn't right. I don't know football drills, but it seems to be uh, it was some kind of hitting drill where they had them starting fifteen yards away instead of in close proximity. And, you know, Eric says that that seemed wrong to him at the time, but you know, you're a JV football player. You're not going to be like, Hey coach, this is right. (laughs) Bad. But, uh, he, according to Eric, this, you know, this is, this led to a lawsuit. So this is very much the, the, the school would dispute these claims, but according to Eric and his lawyer and his family, he was part of this unusual drill took a bad hit, lost feeling in his arms and legs and felt dizzy, told the coach and the coach didn't do anything. Didn't have him go see a trainer. Ooh, that is. That didn't is, tell him to go see a doctor. Just he went straight back out to practice and kept playing. That is a, a negligence lawsuit waiting to happen. Uh-huh. Two days later, he was playing in a JV game and took another hit and was paralyzed from the neck down. The parents and their lawyer are saying that he... A, shouldn't have been playing in the game. No. But B, if he had taken that hit in the game and didn't already have swelling on a spinal column, maybe it wouldn't have been as bad of a hit. And based on what you said earlier, that seems to be true. If, if he already had swelling, then a relatively minor hit could lead to complete paralysis if the swelling was already there. Yeah. Well, it, they, there's already proof of that happening. Yeah. And it, they, all they have to do, and like I say, all they have to do, yeah, whatever, yeah. you know, this is not a simple yes or no question. Did he say this? Did he say that? Then definitely they're getting yeah. money. It's not that simple. It, it, they're going to get, they're going to get flung through the ringer so that they can get their money. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's, that's a sad state that we have to go through yeah. when somebody gets injured and, and their coach who is looking out for him and him alone. Yeah doesn't give a shit and tells his kid to get out there because he thinks he's being a little wussy or something. You know, it's, it's it's this, it's, it's, what do you tell kids? Like, I'd like to think that all coaches would, you know, take this seriously. Like they should, but there are thousands and thousands of coaches in the country. There's going to be some not good ones. I, 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 you know, that's why I like these organizations like Rico Brown's, uh, like chips, you know, when it is this serious, when it is this life and death, I think it's worth really educating kids so that they can make these choices for themselves. Because mm-hmm. the way it seems reading Eric Clark's story, he had a feeling before he had the initial injury that this wasn't a safe thing to be doing. But what kind of freshman JV 15 year old is going to take a stand? In le- as long as we're going to have coaches that are putting their kids at risk, that seems to be, you know, we have to advocate for that. It's it's common sense yeah. coaching. 
And, and the sad part is they these guys, they're so focused on getting the results that they need. Mm-hmm. And this is all over the place. This is this is not just like this is not just amateur sports. Yeah. This is this is sports in general. It this is, is business in general. More than just sports, yeah. too. It's well, you have, and and where I think it, it it seems to come to play in football is, yeah, you can you can have the coaches sweeping these things under the rug for the sake of winning and not wanting to, you know, mess up their team and they have a big game next week, or whatever. But we also have this attitude of this is a necessary part of the game. We see it in 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 the show. Coach Taylor, who we see as like being the good guy, and he like, in the show this is not presented as a bad thing or a wrong thing. No, but weeks after his quarterback has been paralyzed, we see him punish Tim Riggins for showing up drunk to practice by making him get hit way harder and longer than he needs to. And we're not supposed to see him as a bad guy in that situation. Like even yeah. us as viewers of the show are supposed to be like, yeah, Tim deserves that because he was irresponsible. It's like that. That's just that's part of just how the like culture of the game is developed. That like this, it should be painful and it should be hard and it should be punishing. And sometimes you have to take these things for the sake of growing stronger mentally as well as physically. I just can't square that in my brain with knowing how horrible the risks are. Can this be fixed when there is so much ingrained, like this is a good and necessary part of the game? It, I still like football. Yeah, no, and I still, I, I still watch it. Um, <laughs> despite there being massive, massive issues on on in many facets of the game. <laughs> yeah. Um. Whether that's socially, uh, medically, um, race, racially, socioeconomics, uh, and money, yeah. like there's there's a million issues. There are tons and tons of issues. <laughs> well, that's what I'm saying. Like, I'm not and, I'm not saying like anybody should you should like hate football. I'm saying for the people that do love football, it c- could we ever get to a place where we can still love football while also changing this culture of it, it, it has to be this hard for it to be real or right. Right. Uh, it, you have it, the conversation is changing. Yeah. Um, and that's good. I think. You have uh, whenever this whole, what was the movie? Um, uh, the Will Smith concussion movie. Yes. Was it called? Was it called Concussion. concussion? I think it might have been called Concussion. Was it really called Concussion? I didn't see That's it. That's a really bad title. Maybe, maybe we should have watched that movie before we did this episode. <laughs> I'm gonna, I don't think that's the title. We're both Googling. Concussion. It's the, Yeah, it's called yeah, Concussion. it's called Concussion. It's a bad title. Um, also, bad accent, uh, Will Smith, but okay. He doesn't do accent work very often. Comes from uh, yeah, he didn't have to do an accent. <laughs> The guy didn't have an accent. Oh, he didn't? I've never seen the no. real guy. Oh, I didn't know no, that. No, he never had an accent, but he had to make sure that people knew that he was African, quote-unquote. Yeah. Oh, my God. No, like, it, it, the conversation is definitely happening more than I think it used to, and that's good. Yes. And people are getting to the point where it is now, okay, we want safety over 
uh, we want safety over results. Mm-hmm. And that a lot of people do talk about that. Now you still have those, you still have the, uh, the old guys and even people that are newer yeah. to the game and my age that still say that the people that are looking out for their safety or that, yeah. um, Oh, well he got a concussion. He's a snowflake yeah. or things like that. Like, no, we're, we're looking out for the safety of these human beings, these people, if they're getting paid to do this, if you are allowing them to make you millions and millions yeah. of dollars, you should allow them the basic needs to keep make sure that they are at least alive. Yeah. You know? Like I, I think where it's really where it's really dangerous is uh obviously you take you take a coach or a player or a trainer when you're talking about these like worst case scenarios, they're gonna take it seriously. But then are they going to remember that a week later when they're running a drill extra hard to punish a person who showed up late or, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, it's it's so ingrained. There's so many places it pops up that isn't life and death in the moment. It's changing those subtle things. And also, you know, let's say you 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 as a football person care a lot about this. You decide you want to make a change, make it better. If you got a coaching job and took this as seriously as we think you need to take it and benched every single player for the full time they should be benched and lost games because you were, you know, losing your defense or your offense, how long would you keep your coaching job? Like, if if the things that need to be done lead to losses where people are expecting wins, you know, is, is that that might stop these, this progress in its tracks. Cause there's, you see that outside of football and a lot of things like it, it's easy to make these statements until it really starts affecting things because as, until, you know, if every school in the country has to put a certain change in place, it happens evenly. But if we're talking about a change and half the schools are trying to implement and half aren't and the half that aren't are winning, that that effort is dead in the water. Yeah. Oh man! Well, this is a this is a downer. I I, I know I it gotta, really is. When we post um, this, I want to post some links to some of these organizations because, like, yes, as sad as this is, there are a lot of people who have like been through this in real life that have like devoted their lives after their injury to either prevention or advocacy or yeah. helping people who have gone through it. We and we need to kind of. Uh, preface this whole thing uh, not preface post face whatever sure post face yeah <laughs> uh not all episodes are gonna be this sad oh absolutely not like not even in the slightest but this is the most like this one was the one that came out uh of this episode and was very at the forefront and yeah way. it's it's literally it's episode a, one of the tv show yeah, and it's an important it's issue something that i didn't know a whole lot about before yeah i started looking it up well and looking at the big the big issues in this show a lot of them are downers they are <laughs> uh, you have a a large a <laughs> large swath of episodes in the middle of season one yeah or towards the tail end of season one where it is strictly about um racial issues yeah and it's not necessarily going to be a downer, but it's going to be an like it's it's not going to be easy to listen to. Yeah. Oh, and then that's, um, I mean, like uh, you know, as much as I want this to be fun for us to talk right. about and fun to listen to, part of the reason we like the show is because it is so serious about these serious things. Yeah. And also, like, 
yeah, like that, that's kind of the point of what we're doing. Like, I want to engage with these serious issues. Yeah. I also want to find some things that we can talk about that are not so serious and yeah. downer, but I don't think that's bad. We can literally look at uh, Saracen's just yeah whole Who thing. I, I, mean, I was thinking about, like, what can we do next episode that's not as heavy as this one? Yeah. I haven't found one yet. We'll uh, find something. But if you listen to this and found it interesting... Uh, I mentioned several organizations. You have Gridiron Heroes in Texas. You have Push, Push, Pray in Oklahoma. Uh, the Travis Roy Foundation is giving out hundreds of these small grants for, like, assistance that doesn't come from insurance. Uh, and another one I found that I really like is uh, Unite to Fight Paralysis. You, the number two, fp.org does a lot of things on the proactive side, a lot of advocacy okay. and education and research. Um, all four of these are great organizations. Uh, and it's, you know, it's, it's one of those things that when one of these horrible accidents happens, it's all over the news, you know, when it happens. But this isn't a problem that we're hearing about long term. And for these kids that are dealing with this, five years later that are still in physical therapy, that are still learning how to live independently. I don't hear a lot about that kind of yeah. the new, that kind of support. So if you can like look at the links, to these organizations, if one of them jumps out at you, uh, please like donate or, or at least just like be aware. Of yeah. The fact that just read exist. into it. And yeah, cause it is, it's, it's important work and some people are doing that important work. I was a little bit, Disappointed that I didn't know as much about it as I did right. before this. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so we'll we'll pick a a more fun topic next time. <laughs> Julie Taylor's bangs. <laughs> yes, <laughs> that might have to be a two parter. I got a lot of thoughts. <laughs> oh Jesus Christ! Okay, <laughs> we didn't talk about like a sign off or a goodbye <laughs> or anything. Um, you're now exiting Devil Town. <laughs> Fuck me. <laughs> that was bad. It wasn't good. It was bad. I'm right here at GarageBand. I can edit that out right now. <laughs> it was bad. Just set up the whole episode. Just take it all out. <laughs> well, let's just start over. Um, oh, you said at the beginning, our names. Yeah. I'm Mitch. I'm Austin. This is Devil Town. <laughs> <laughs>